Revelation chapter 20. <coughs> Considering the church of Jesus Christ who has been harder pressed than anything that the entirety of the churches of Jesus Christ combined up to this point have been pressed with. This is what Christ talks about in Matthew chapter 24 when He says there will be at that point in time a tribulation that has never been before and will never be again. We have seen the mystery of lawlessness at work and the fullness of the oppression, the full onslaught of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of this world coming against the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of heaven. We have seen the saints given into His hand. We have seen the rise and the fall, the destruction of Babylon the Great at the hands of the beast and of His kings and of His kingdoms. And now we have seen the coming, the promise, the conquering of Jesus Christ, literally the Lord of... You've got to go back to it um, because that's where it's going to finish. Literally the Lord of hosts. Literally the Lord of war. Man, for, for me personally, that statement out of Amos um, has been really significant for me. Um, we have to have it because that's the only way the thing finishes well. The same one that that speaks to the woman at the well and and tells her everything that she ever did. The same one that that looks at at the Gentile woman and says, "I didn't I didn't come for the dogs," and then a moment later sees fit to cause her to become one of the children of Israel is the same one that conquers at the end. He's the full package, man. He does both. Not not one or the other. He's both. He's both grace and mercy and victory and conquest. And man, in Revelation chapter 20, you see the fullness thereof. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through verse 3, you see the God of war go to war against His prime adversary and be victorious. It says, that Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. Here we see the dragon seized, that one that is the ancient serpent of Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, the one that comes and, and, and deceives Eve and drags Adam into that deception, the one that is identified as the devil, literally Diablos in the Greek, one who is a slanderer, one who is false, Satan, Satanus, one who is the adversary. 
the ruler of this world that stands against all that Christ is and all that is good is seized and he is bound. He is bound in a bottomless pit, the abusos, the place of holding for fallen angels. In 2 Peter chapter 2, it says that if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, there is a manner in which some fallen angels are being held over. Look at it, if you will, as going to county, except for worse, until the day of judgment. There's some that are still loose and running around, but there is some that the Lord has seen fit to hold over. There is a manner in which they may be restrained. In Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, it speaks of it like this. It says that the fifth angel sounded that being the trumpet, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now if you remember, we're in Revelation chapter 9, we looked at that and said that is Satan that is doing this thing. That There are a group of angels according to 2 Peter who have been from the fall set aside and held to a particular time of the end for a time of judgment that are then released and they're released from this pit that was able to hold them and, and now having come to the fullness of the end this same pit will be used against him. Many have speculated that the angel that does this is Michael. We have absolutely no idea. Scripture doesn't, doesn't say. The one thing that we do know is under the order of creation, Michael, as far as our knowledge, is second only to Satan himself. And because of that, he is unable to deal with Satan directly by his own authority. We see this in the book of Jude, that when disputing over the body of Moses between Michael and Satan, that Michael dared not, it says, pronounce a blasphemous rebuke. Like it would have been so out of order because of the level of their creation for Michael to rebuke him. If you want to put it in some kind of physical terms that we might understand, it would be like a chimpanzee rebuking a human. Like Satan was such a high order of creation over the top of Michael that it would actually have been blasphemous for him to rebuke him. And instead, he says, the Lord thy God rebuke you. And so, fast forward from Moses at 1500 B.C. to sometime still future in Revelation chapter 12. And it says that Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And they overcame him. Not by their own power, but by the power of His Creator that was granted to them. And they were able to overthrow Him and press Him out. And so, joy in heaven because the accuser of, of your saints has been cast down. And woe to you who are on the earth because He is cast down to you knowing He's in great wrath because He knows His time is short. And here is the shortening of His time throws him 
into the abyss, the pit that has no bottom. You know, interestingly enough, I'm a, and, and That's probably about all the time we got for tonight anyway, because if we're going to start in with the nations that exist after the return of Christ, we don't have time to delve into that. So, you know, I've, I've always kind of been a science fan. I find the way things work to be fascinating. As a matter of fact, uh, one winter day when I was just tall enough to be able to to grab onto the swing door handle on a number 10 school bus. I stood at the front of Damon's bus and and uh, he, he asked me to tell me he asked me to tell him about my science fair project and I think that I managed to make it all the way from my pickup all the way back around to Highway 10 before I got done and he entertained me the whole time. Let me stand there and tell him about the stuff. I find it to be fascinating. The reason that this galaxy exists is because at the center of it is a singularity. Literally a space where there is, well, I don't know what you can call it space. There is a place where there is no space between electrons and protons and neutrons. But they are against each other. And when that happens, there's some really bizarre stuff that goes on. There's black holes scattered all over the place, but there's a big one that sits in the middle. That's why the whole thing's spinning like it's spinning down a drain, because it is. There's a hole that it's all going into. And the mass, because you can't call it weight at that point, becomes so great that with these new telescopes that we've got, when you look at them, there is a phenomenon called Doppler shift that occurs in any transmitted wave. Sound waves, radio waves, light waves, doesn't matter what kind of wave you've got. If you have a wave that's being produced by an object that's in motion, if it's moving away from you, the frequency of that wave is stretched out longer. Whereas if it's moving towards you, the frequency of that wave is compressed to be shorter. So with light, for instance, it shifts either to blue or to red. If it's moving away, it shifts to red, and if it's moving towards you, it shifts to blue. This is why when a siren goes by on a, on a fire truck, it has that wah, wah sound as it goes away. The thing is, it's the way God made this place, man, matter, space, and time are all connected. And if you look at these super black holes, one that's in the middle of of our galaxy, there is, there is a point when space and time become so compressed. So you, you look at a particle of light that's moving at the speed of light, and it's shifting away from you red at a consistent state, but because space comes so compressed relative to you, the shift begins to slow. And right before it falls into the event horizon, it actually stops. Time doesn't move. 
And because time doesn't move, particles don't move. It is literally quantum locked. That doesn't mean that it's, it's binary locked. It's not yes, no. It's neither yes, it's neither no, and it's neither maybe. It stops. Now, I don't know what kind of pit you have to construct that is able to hold a guardian cherub. I don't know what, what, what kind of abyssos you have to have that the highest order of created being that thinks he has a decent shot of overthrowing the throne, I don't know what kind of jail cell you have to have that will actually hold him for a thousand years, but one where there is no motion or time in existence sounds like a pretty good shot to me. And the fact of the matter is, is I really don't think that's even the place he's going to hold him. I think when you look at this textually, what is being spoken of is a spiritual reality that is completely different from here, the way that heaven is different from here. What I am saying is this, if you can get a physical representation of that that's making all this stuff spin in the right direction, then what is the actual spiritual reality capable of? If in the physical expression you can quantum lock existence in order to hold existence together circling the drain, when it comes down to that which is really real, when we're talking about covering cherubs and a real temple in heaven and a real mercy seat and real blood that is all eternal, man, if that's what you can get from the physical testimony? What's the real thing like? It's sufficient to chain not a dragon, but the dragon. The one. And he'll do it for exactly the time that he's set. For he must be bound, not for 999 years, and not for 1,001. He must be bound for 1,000 years. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Other than that is the good pleasure of his purpose. And man, he's going to do it. What a crushing weight that must be. He's going to do it. He's going to do it for his own glory, for the vindication of his purpose, and for the joy of his people. For the joy of his people. So, we look at things and we go, man, they're not good. Friends, there's 19 chapters that precede chapter 20 of stuff that's so not good that it makes everything we look, everything we go through look like an absolute carnival. If he's good in this, then he's good in this.